0: Hello, all you happy innovators out there. Are you having a good week? You know, I hope that you're having a great week. Because you deserve to have a great week. I'm going to continue today with the fame discussion. I think it's time to start wrapping it up. So today will be one of the last uh, in that series that I started a few months back. And before I start talking about all that stuff today, I want to express my gratitude to one of my listeners. Uh, i call him Grebo. Okay. And he has been commenting on my snowflake episodes for quite some time now. And I appreciate that. Okay. So I want to say thank you to Gribo. a special thank you, because this episode of Snowflake 33 that you're listening to right now probably would not have happened if I hadn't gotten those comments from Gribo. And basically, you know, with the last episode that I released last week, he was kind of expressing to me that he felt a little let down that I wasn't going to give some of the stories about the Mort Band. So what I've decided that I will do is I will give you a few stories uh, about the Mort Band. I didn't really want to do that, okay? I'm doing this one for Gribo, okay? As a testimony to my gratitude for uh, Gribo's engagement with Snowflake 33 and, and everything, okay? Um, And I also want to say just a really quick shout out to my nephew, David, who has been listening to these Snowflake episodes, and he particularly liked the uh, episode about my brother Steve and the People's Art Exhibit because he was just a little guy when that whole thing shook down. If you go back to that episode, I was babysitting him when we saw my brother on the television. Um, And, you know, I got to say, when I was very young, I spent quite a bit of time uh, with my nieces and nephews, babysitting them and, you know, taking care of them, even when they were infants. And I have to say that with my nephew, David, um, I kind of feel like he's my son. Uh, I played a large part in the raising of him and his younger brother, Christopher, and his older sister, Megan. And I love them as if they were my own children. And it just really meant a lot to me that he was listening. You know, it it makes a big difference to me to know that uh, he gets it and he's laughing right along with me. So now that I've gotten all of that stuff out of the way... Uh, I'm going to continue with the Mort discussion and I'm going to tell you some stories about that band situation. Okay? Um, And I have to kind of say it was really making me laugh to myself that I really had a hard time remembering (laughs) good things. (laughs) I really just had a hard time remembering positive things. But I had no problem coming up with, you know, <laughs> negative stories. <laughs> Loads of those. But uh, in all honesty, that's not really fair. Because there was a lot of good times, obviously. I stayed in the band for five years. So it took me a little while to, to come up with a couple. But, you know, it, it probably shouldn't have. Okay. But, uh, I guess, you know, to continue with the story, I think it wouldn't really be fair either if I didn't mention, at least, um, that there was, you know, kind of a revolving door of musicians that were coming in and out of the band for quite some time. And the core members were Mort and myself. Okay. And, um... So, when I, when I remember the band and when I, when I think about it, um, if I go back to the beginning, what I remember is that um, just around the same time that I was getting ready to uh, start jamming with Mort, there was a strange kind of thing that was going on in Cleveland, okay, about him that uh, that I took note of okay like I'll try to put this as delicately as possible Mort seemed to have a bad reputation okay that there were a group of people in the city of Cleveland that were musicians that uh, resented him and they were kind of At least from my best estimation, they were fabricating stories about him uh, just prior to my joining the band. And I think that a lot of it had to do with the fact that his band had been so successful and these guys were just jealous. I mean, let's face it, everybody is working really hard for this thing. You know, the brass ring, the record deal. You know, and here this guy comes along with his band and they actually achieve it. And I feel having lived through this whole experience and looking back on it now, of course, you know, I I once heard a wise man say that, you know, you go through an experience in your life and it really isn't until maybe like 20 years later when you look back on it, that you really know where you were. Okay, Um, and this is one of those circumstances definitely because I remember hearing all these stories about him and how dysfunctional he was and he was a mess and all this kind of stuff and uh, I kind of sensed that it was not true that it was just a lot of BS because in that city in particular, I would have to say it's it, there's so much backbiting. Uh, you know um, we hate it when our friends become successful, right? Uh, it's a fact, okay? And I think that he was a victim of that. okay? I don't think he had done anything wrong to anybody, but they just were jealous and he was down. you know his band had gotten dropped from their label. And it was kind of like, you know, what goes up must come down. But when he was up, everybody was kind of like his best friend. You know, you couldn't get close enough to him. Right. And when they came down, you know, when the band finally got dropped from MCA, they abandoned them. And they jumped off like rats off of a sinking ship. You know, the, the audience is fickle and they don't really care. About him, okay? And when there was nothing that they could take from him, they discarded him like so much trash, okay? So I kind of sensed that was happening, you know, hearing these stories about him that were so inflated and so sensational, and he was just such a mess, and he was letting everybody down around him. I'm serious. These are the kind of rumors that I was hearing and like I said I kind of sensed it was not true and of course it wasn't okay of course it wasn't and I was willing to jam with him anyway you know because I knew that they were just being jealous and I knew that he must be really good if they're getting this worked up about him you know so I remember that okay I remember that very clearly and that sense of apprehension like okay I want to make sure that I'm hooking up with somebody who's what I think they are and he was I mean come on the guy was great the guy was super talented okay and uh but the weird thing was that when I first started to jam with him um I had a really good reputation as a drummer, okay? And when him and I first started to get together, there was this sense of, like, respect that he gave me, okay? Because he didn't really know me that well. and You know, we were still strangers. And I have to say that I, I do feel, in hindsight, that once we kind of started to get to know each other a little bit, I don't think he liked me too much, okay? Um, Which is kind of funny to even think about, but I think it's true. Even from the very beginning, as soon as we got past the honeymoon phase, you know, the the first impressions, and we started to work together, I kind of sensed that I wasn't one of his favorite people to hang around. And I understood why. You know, he was uh, kind of like a party guy. He was a little more bacchanalian a little more bohemian than I was and not that I was ultra conservative I just wasn't that into the party okay um and I do feel that kind of like what happened was when I joined the band he saw a, a light of hope you know that someone had faith in him again and of course I did you know he was good and I was somebody who you know, could potentially help him get out of this, well, let's call it a rut that he was in after they were dropped from MCA records. Um, and I, and I remember distinctly when we first got together that he had like this band of guys around him that were, you know, playing music with him under a different band name. And uh, they were all kind of like, um, at least my impression my first impressions were like uh, that they weren't quite good enough to be playing with him. That he was was working with musicians that were kind of like of a lower standard than he deserved. Okay. Does that sound bad? I guess it might. But, you know, it's just a fact. You know, some guys have it and some guys don't. And these guys that he was jamming with, they really didn't have it. In my opinion. And he needed to get some guys that were a little stronger, you know, stronger players. And that is exactly what happened, you know. Right out of the gate with the band, you know, he changed the name to the Moore Band, you know, and uh, all these other guys were gone. We started to get some real players in there. And once that happened, uh, you know, we were rolling. And we got into the studio and we recorded our debut CD and I think it could have come out a little bit better. I think that we went into the studio maybe a little too soon, after we had initially gotten together, and I think we should have waited a little bit longer. But it didn't really matter because the songs were there, it was a great demo, and we recorded it at Mars Recording Studio, which was great. Uh, I just th- I think our performance as a band could have been better. But anyway, Um but now ha- having explained that, that, you know, we had recorded that first CD, uh, it was kind of like we hit the ground running as a band right away. I and mean, we were playing gigs all the time. Uh, We had started to establish a fan base. We were playing pretty good-sized shows. Um, And there were some member changes along the way. Like I said, it was like a revolving door. And um, eventually, we had a guy join the band who played bass guitar. And actually, he was somebody that I knew from my days in Thumper. He was in a band that played around the same time Thumber did. We did a lot of shows together. And, you know, it was kind of, like, nice to see him again. Because I hadn't seen him in years. Probably, like, you know, five years or something. So, it was kind of cool. It was almost like, um... I know that guy. Yeah, tell him to come down. Let's, like, jam. Let's do it. And he was a phenomenal player. And he was a phenomenal writer. Okay? Um... He was a really creative guy, really kind of easygoing guy. Um, he was a bartender, you know. That's what he did for a living, and he just was good at talking to people, and he treated people well. And uh, he was a fantastic player. I mean, he just he wrote as well as he played, and he was uh, dedicated and serious about it. And I think that Mort liked it a lot because. Now he had somebody to kind of like party with, and uh, I didn't realize it at the time. It was kind of like the beginning of a separation that would start to take place, and um, a polarization really in the band where I was you know, I wasn't a fuddy duddy, okay? I mean i <laughs> i I can have a good time, okay. I just don't want to do it all the time. I can't I can't do it all the time. I have to work. <laughs> okay? I have to work. And I have to do all this other stuff. And, you know, I can't be partying all the time. I can't be hungover at work. You know? So, that was kind of like um, a very important part of the story. Especially when it comes to the end of the band. Because, really... Uh, pretty early on, there was already this, you know, separation kind of starting to take place. And it started out small, but, you know, over time it gradually got bigger and bigger until the point where it was like just outright disrespectful sometimes and, you know, uh, you know, ridicule, you know, for not being the party guy, you know, like they were. And, you know, I have to say honestly, okay, that um, it really did seem to me that, like, when I started to first jam with Mort, like, he was a little bit humbled, okay? And as soon as things started to roll again, and we started to get some traction, he kind of changed a little bit you know and that humility was gone and he kind of could see in the future that it was going to be you know high times again you know that the the good times were coming again and he was going to have a chance to get back a little bit of what he had lost and let me tell you if i had anything to do with that i was more than happy to do it because the people around him sucked okay they sucked and they kicked him when he was down. I mean, and I'm the kind of guy who is all about, you know, second chances and stuff like that. I mean, totally, totally. Um, I would be pleased to help him get back some of what he had lost because he was good and he deserved it. And those people sucked. Okay? They were just jealous. So, you know, uh, Anyway, (laughs) so anyway, continuing on with the story, I have to say that uh, once we got that new bass player in, who will remain nameless, um, when he joined the band, he really kind of was the third member that we were missing. And we really started to gel as a band. And we had, like I mentioned, we had one CD behind us already. And we immediately started to write um, a new CD. And, you know, everybody in the band kind of had their place, all right? So, you know, I certainly would have music ideas and guitar ideas, but they weren't really going to be used in this project. I was the drummer, and I wrote drum parts, okay? Okay. I worked very hard to be creative and try to write really good parts. And I think our bass player was kind of doing that as well. In fact, he was probably kind of the, um, the inspiration for that. Like the writing of the material started to kind of change. Our sound started to change because he was a strong writer and Mort was a strong writer. And I like to consider myself a strong writer. Songwriter, especially on drums. I can be a creative drummer, okay? And this was really um, when we started to hit our stride as a band and our reputation started to grow. And more importantly, I really feel that we started to make the best music that we could make. And it's really true that the music we were generating, the music that we were writing... Was really, really strong, and uh, with the first CD prior to this bass player joining, the music that we made was really kind of like uh, reminiscent of like Jethro Tzal and uh, you know, acoustic folk-based kind of prog rock, uh, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, um, that kind of sound, and it worked really well. Because Mort's songs were very reminiscent of those groups. He was influenced by them. And it was coming out in this new and fresh way. And, uh, but with this new bass player in the picture, things really started to go off into more of a prog rock uh, direction. And more of a Pink Floyd kind of thing. Not so much a King Crimson thing anymore. You know? Like, more Floyd than King Crimson. And two very different bands. You know? (laughs) Two very different sounding bands. Two very different directions. And it was really kind of cool. uh, Some of the material that we were coming up with. It really was... uh, you know, pushing the limits, breaking away from conventional songwriting and going off into more of a progressive thing. And, you know, we wound up releasing an album and uh, the material on that album was really kind of fresh in in a lot of ways, in my opinion. I mean, I really think um, like when I listen to it now and I still do um, I'm proud of a lot of what's on that record I'm proud of a lot of it but there are a couple of things that I just can't live with a couple of mistakes I think we made um, but I would have to say that it was kind of interesting uh, especially when I look back on it now That a lot of this was fueled by that new bass player. I mean, as solid and as tight as Mort and I were, uh, we weren't really a band until the bass player joined. It's kind of cool, actually, you know, because it really kind of points to the fact that everybody in the band matters everybody had a a role to play in the writing of the material and uh, this new guy you know to the situation was steering it and it was all right (laughs) it worked it sounded great you know his ideas were really good and uh, you know he was a nice guy and he was funny he really was One of the funnier people that I've jammed with. You know, he just had a a great sense of humor. And I miss him. I do. I gotta say. We had some good times. And I guess that's what I'll talk about right now. Some of the good times that we had. And uh, one of them that that comes to mind is... uh, one time we had done a show in Philadelphia, and uh, it was it was a good show. We had played there before. It was a return trip, trying to uh, you know make our way east. Um, and what we decided to do while we were in Philly uh, after this show was done was you know uh, I had bought a van. Okay, for the band, and uh, a tour bus. You know, I bought I bought the tour bus. Okay, and uh, and we we went out to Philly and we did this show, and then after that we decided we were gonna go to Atlantic City for a couple days. And uh, when I look back on my tenure as the drummer in the Mort Band, that was really one of the funner. things that we did. It wasn't a show, you know, we didn't go there to play a show. We just kind of went there because we could. It wasn't too far away. And uh, it was fun. (laughs) It was A lot of fun. We were right on the beach, you know, the boardwalk of Atlantic City. We got a hotel room, a really big one, you know, decent sized hotel room. And we just kind of hung out as a band for a couple days. And it was just a lot of fun, and uh, and you know, like I said a couple episodes back, one of the funnest things that a human being can do is tour with a rock band. It doesn't matter if you're playing stadiums or pubs. It doesn't matter. It's just a lot of fun to do, okay. And I'm glad to say that I had the opportunity to do that and, uh, and that trip to Atlantic City stands out in my mind as, uh, one of the better times in the Mort Band. We had a really good time. Um, let me see, what, what else can I think of here? Okay, I have a, I have another good story about the Mort Band. Um, you know, maybe about two years or three years into being in that band, um, there was a a magazine in the city and, you know, I guess, like, every year they would have, like, their version of, like, the Grammys, okay? Uh, Which is ridiculous to... (laughs) which sounds ridiculous to even say. Okay, but, you know, that's what it was. And we were nominated for, like, you know, like, Best Band or something, you know? And it wasn't a big deal. It was, uh you know, a small kind of situation. It was held at that club called the Odeon that Slow Bob had played, uh, our last show. Uh they had this the event at this club called the Odeon. And we went and it was just a it was a lot of fun. I'll admit it, it was a lot of fun to be getting that kind of attention and and all those kinds of things. It was a lot of fun. And uh Right around that same time, which was also very cool, um, for the first time in a band that I was in, uh, we made the cover of a magazine. And I thought that that was really cool. It was a magazine called The Bottom Line, and they put us on the cover. And I was proud of that. I was proud of that. It was definitely one of those things, you know, that I... I won't soon forget. It was a big deal to me that we were doing that well and getting that kind of recognition. It was it was nice after years of, you know, playing shows and being in bands. It was nice to finally be getting, you know, some kind of recognition. I will admit it. Is it a big deal? Mm, not really. But, you know... It does speak to the whole fame thing a little bit now, doesn't it? I'm not sure how, but it does. Um, but that, that was a big deal. And uh, now, you know, what I would say is, you know, what do I remember? Uh, okay, this is something that kind of stuck in my craw, something I never really forgot. Um, we were in the studio... Recording the second CD, and I heard Mort having a conversation with the engineer, and they were talking about how songwriting credit is distributed, um, as far as publishing is concerned, and money, you know, making money off of songs, and the conversation was kind of going like this, like. Uh, Mort was the songwriter he would make the lion's share of the money because he was the primary songwriter that was was kind of the gist of this conversation and uh, the fact that I was only a drummer would not give me rights to any kind of songwriting credit. And when I heard that coming out of his mouth, okay, I was hurt. And a little pissed off. Okay? Because I wrote those drum parts. Okay? I wrote those. Those were mine. Okay? And, yeah, I wouldn't consider myself the songwriter, okay? But I was a primary songwriter. And I just remember that. How disappointed I felt that that was how he saw it. That I wasn't really... A fully fledged participant in this project and that was a turning point okay that was the the first one or no I wouldn't even say it was the first one it was one of many okay but that was a bigger one and then I would say ultimately and this is probably really the reason why I quit the Mort band eventually, okay? Um, It became clear to me, like I explained to you a little while ago in this episode, that there was this separation that had begun as soon as that bass player had joined, that Mort now finally had somebody to party with, and I was kind of like um, looked down on because... I wasn't a party boy, okay? I was a Puritan in his eyes. And I was insulted by that. And I think that's really how he intended it to go a lot of the time. It like I said, it had kind of devolved into like a ridicule, almost. And you know, he was ten years older than me, okay, almost to the day. We were ten years apart from each other in age, and it was just kind of like an understanding that you know he's older and I'm younger. It's his band, you know. It's his it's his baby, and I'm a visitor. Okay, I I get that. Okay, but um, over time, the relationship gradually got more and more distant. And there was like a certain point in time when I realized that his loyalty to me did not exist. Okay. Um, Why that is, I'll tell you why. And I think this is ultimately why. Um, You know, I mentioned to you way back in the Slow Bob episodes that the city of Cleveland is really kind of divided East and West. Okay. Okay. And I was from the west side, you know, the, the have-nots, okay? And Mort was from the east side, very much from the east side, uh, upper crust, okay? Now, he would probably roll his eyes at that, okay? And I kind of do, too, because it's a little bit, you know, oversimplified. But I do feel that ultimately the separation between Mort and and myself was really based on those kinds of things. That he kind of looked down on me because I came from the middle class. Okay? Um, And whether or not that's true, I don't know for sure, but it's how I feel. Okay? Because the tone of our relationship ...was like that. And... Um, ...basically, you know, what had happened was... ...our our bass player, I think, eventually quit. I don't remember exactly uh, the circumstances. I can't believe it, but I don't remember exactly what happened. But I seem to remember that our bass player left... ...and the band started to kind of fragment... A little bit and at that same time I was working on my own stuff uh, in the periphery like when in my free time and I was starting to fall in love with that process um, I kind of felt like our crowd was starting to dip a little bit and like I said uh, we were losing a band member for one reason or another and there was like a whole lot of weird stuff going on um at our rehearsal space i remember that and i remember a distinct feeling like um, band practice had become more of a social event than a band rehearsal And there were a lot of people coming in regularly to our practices. And, you know, it wasn't like just a couple of people, you know, showing up at practice or whatever. It was like a lot of people. And our practices had become more of a a social event than a band rehearsal. And I have to also say, too, that at this time, I was kind of getting tired of the routine. You know, um, I was working full time and I lived in a really nice place. And uh, I had a studio that I had built for myself, a small little studio in my apartment. And um, I would get off of work and I would go to band practice, and it would kind of like leave this this comfortable, happy uh, existence that I had at home, and then go to band practice and you know screw around for four hours before we even got behind our instruments and started to play. And at each rehearsal, it just was like, four hours of just wasting time when I could have been at home doing a lot more and getting a lot done and actually being happy and comfortable you know um, and that's okay some of the time but it was happening every time and I really kind of started to resent that that the party had gotten so out of control that it wouldn't end. Although I can say in the time before I really started to consider leaving the band and in the time uh, before our bass player had left, we had written and recorded, um, I think, almost a complete album of material. And it was really, really good. It was better than anything else we had done and um, I remember after our bass player quit the band uh, you know Mort started to like audition bass players and you know I wasn't really happy with the people that he was bringing in and that wasn't a reason to quit but it was really kind of a uh, signal to me that you know this is this is reaching an end point, you know. Although I am proud of those final songs that we did for that final CD. I'm not even sure how many of them got released uh, to the public. Um, but uh, I, I did record a full album with him. And the bass player, we did record a, th- a full third album. Not sure what happened to it, and I guess ultimately it doesn't really matter. Uh, but that was it, you know. And also too, okay, I can I remember this now. Now that I'm thinking about it, um, there were a lot of people coming around that were kind of like, uh, you know, it's kind of like a symptom of your band doing well when you have. People showing up that you don't know and they're like I can do this for you I can do that for you I have a record label I, I want to sign you to my record label and you know I've just learned over the years that you know basically if, if a person comes up to you like that if someone comes at you that way and they're not willing to put any money into what you're doing they're full of crap okay and they are to be avoided if they're asking you for money, it's a scam. If someone has power and the ability to do anything for your band, and they come at you, they'll give you money, okay? And that wasn't happening. And there was a whole lot of that, you know, these these Dingleberries that were kind of, you know, showing up and offering us the world, and uh, you know, one of the major. Um, ending factors of this situation with me playing in the band was this stupid offer that we were given by this company to supposedly uh, tour uh, on a B stage with U2 that there was going to be a handful of unsigned bands that were going to be on a smaller B stage for the Elevation Tour Okay. And that we were one of the bands that was going to be on this tour. And it was total BS. okay. And when that really stupid offer was given to us, I remember the bass player and I were both a little reluctant because we kind of sensed that it was BS, that it was a scam. And Mort was kind of egging us on. You know, pu- pushing us to do it. And so we eventually agreed, but it was really odd. And we kind of knew that it was not real. And Mort was really trumpeting this idea like he really wanted to do it. Like we didn't really have a choice. Like it was his band, and, you know, we were going we to do what he wanted to do. He thought it was a good idea. But what wound up happening because of this offer, and we had contracts that were signed. Everybody was gearing up to do this thing, and it was a lie. Okay. But people quit their jobs. People were, you know, ending the lease on their apartment because they were going to be gone. I mean, people were were stopping their lives to go on this tour that was never going to happen. Of course, you know, we didn't really know that at the time, but that was the understanding and that was really whoa. You know, I mean, people's lives were ruined by this situation. Fortunately for me, that wasn't the case for me, but It was definitely a sign that this situation is really not good for me. Okay? Not good for me. And it was time to exit. And I kind of felt that... I kind of felt like... I really felt let down and disappointed by all of it, okay? And I guess the lesson to me was that the music can be great, okay? But personal relationships and how you're treated by your bandmates, by these people that you're investing your time and your dedication to, you know, those relationships matter almost more than the music does. And my heart was broken by this situation, Um, particularly with Mort. You know, being in a band with someone is a lot like a marriage. And I can say that now with certainty because I've been married now for, you know, about 12 years. And with Mort, I can honestly say I had kind of resigned myself in the beginning you know, when we first started to get rolling, that uh, this was going to be the band for the rest of my life. Okay? That no matter what happened, whatever he was singing or playing or whatever, I was going to be drumming behind it. Forever. I mean, I, I really felt that way. It was that good, and it was that real, and I was that serious about it. Okay? But... Um that ended, and I was wrong and sometimes you think that somebody is your friend, and they're not and um I remember when I quit the band, I remember the the sentiment, and um, I don't think that he was really disappointed or anything. he kind of tried to act like he was, but you know. I don't think he really cared. And this is where I'll end this story. So for now, this is Mike Bostwick from Pipe Choir Records signing off. And remember, folks, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy.